The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 6, from the beginning, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go out for us? And I said, Here I am, here am I, send me. Uh, The second reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 1 starting at verse 13 and that can be found on page 1200 of the church Bibles starting at verse 13. Therefore prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Okay, does anyone know what that song's from? pretty obvious, right? Yes, it's the TV hit series, uh, Mission Impossible, actually was 1966, revived in 1988, and there's been a film series over the last 20 years or so, uh, starring Tom Cruise. And the feature of that movie uh, is that the mission is always impossible. Uh, They get a little recording that says, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is this, and the agent has to decide whether he'll accept it or not. I always wonder why they accept it, because it is an impossible mission, and they never seem to turn it down, but I guess that wouldn't make great TV viewing otherwise, right? The reason why we're thinking about this this morning is today we're going to be looking at uh, Isaiah chapter 6, and in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah receives his mission, his calling, uh, his commission from God. Unlike uh, the Mission Impossible movies where the person calling you to the mission is this mysterious figure who represents the organisation. In this case, God reveals himself. He shows Isaiah who he is. And it's this revelation that allows and empowers Isaiah to go on and serve God. As we look at this passage today, we're going to be looking at God's holiness, the characteristics, one one characteristic which is revealed to Isaiah. And while this passage was written 2,700 years ago, I think it is timeless because what it reveals about God is timeless. It speaks to us as his people today, understanding our mission, 
understanding who our God is and how we are to live for him. It's my hope as we look at this, we will get insight into our God and understand how we can live rightly. So with that, let's just bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you in awe of who you are. We ask you now, Lord, to speak to us, to show us who you are and show us how we can live in a way that pleases you. Amen. So you're going to want to have your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 6. We read that earlier. We're going to be working through that. But I thought I'd begin with a little bit of background. Um, We just progressed the slides, thanks. Yeah. So in Isaiah, this is a representation of Isaiah's time. If you know a little about history, you'll know that the kingdom of Israel split in about 930 BC. Uh, Isaiah, if you read chapter 1, verse, sorry, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, um, I saw the Lord. So Isaiah's vision begins at the end of the reign of Uzziah at about 750. Isaiah was called to be a prophet at this time. A prophet is a person who's a spokesperson. He's the person who has the message of God. And his mission was to speak to people the words of God, to warn them. Uh, The message included rebukes, corrections, but also prophecies about the future. And his mission, his message, sorry, was not always going to be easy to receive because it did have these warnings. In a time when Isaiah was speaking, he spoke over the course of the lives of five kings, four of which he spoke, but he was alive for five, for about 60 years. Uh, Those kings were a mixture of good and bad. The red ones were evil. The green ones were good. Manasseh is credited with actually killing Isaiah uh, at at the beginning of his reign. So it was a turbulent historical time, but also characterized by the spiritual decline of Israel. These kings led the people astray, caused them to worship other gods, persecuted and killed the prophets, including Isaiah. And it's in this climate that Isaiah speaks. It's with this that we get an insight into Isaiah's vision. Have a look with me, if you will. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. When you get an insight into Isaiah's time, And those kings, you see God seated on his throne. How relevant for Isaiah. You see, those kings were failing, were going to fail. They did fail. But God is the true king, the one who sits on his throne, who has true power. And it's a reminder of Isaiah who it is that he is serving. It's good for us too, because we think about our times. I mean, leadership. In Australia, we've had, what, Uh, five kings in in 13 years. He had five kings in 60 years. Uh, We look around at the world leadership and we say, are our leaders really honest? Do they tell the truth? Do they have our interests at heart or their own? Who's going to lead us? Um, We feel insecure. And it it, it worries us about the future because the decisions they can make can lead to wars or calamities or trouble or injustices. Isaiah sees God as this exalted king. And his train fills the temple. And it's a symbol of God's pervasive rule, that his rule is everywhere. And though we sometimes don't recognise it, he is king. And ultimately everything is working in accordance with his purposes. When Isaiah is seeing this vision, 
of God as the exalted king. Here's an artist's rendition of it. There are these creatures that stand before the throne. They're called seraphs and they have six wings. Let's have a look at it. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces and with two they were covering their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. These seraphs, we don't know what they are. They're some kind of angelic beings. We know that the Hebrew word is translated fiery ones. And they cover their eyes because they dare not look upon God because of his majesty. And they cover their feet in a sign of reverence. And they cry out, holy, 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 in describing God. What are we to understand of this word holy? What does it mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the word holy is in Hebrew is quados, and it has the root word quad, which is to cut or to separate. And the idea is something that is separate. You know, when we think about holy objects, they were separate. They weren't common. They were used for worship or holy places, are places where you would go to worship God. And God is described as separate, cut. In the New Testament, there are four words that are used for holiness. We won't go into the details, but the basic idea here is that they describe moral perfection. That God is above reproach, that he does nothing wrong. God is not only separate or cut in this case, but he is a cut above. He's the only one that is completely and utterly pure and morally perfect. He's absolutely free from evil. He can do no wrong and he is completely just. In fact, God embodies goodness. He is above all. And the seraphs in describing God as holy... Don't just say he's holy, but holy, holy, holy. That repetition is emphasis of how holy God really is. And that object of three shows perfection and completeness. Isaiah sees this vision at the beginning of his call, and it affects him. You could understand it would. To see God with your own eyes, to see the splendor of his holiness in his throne room exalted above the world. And Isaiah is is overcome. Listen to what he says. He says, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah describes himself as one of unclean lips. He immediately becomes aware of his inadequacy before this holy God. And it's understandable, isn't it? Because, you know, for example, if you play an instrument like a guitar and you go see one of the world's best guitarists, one of the worst thing, first thing you realize is how, well, maybe I don't play so well, right? And it's like that. Before God's moral perfection, Isaiah just becomes aware that what he thought he had isn't really significant. God is so holy and he becomes so aware of his inadequacy that he cries out that he's a man of unclean lips. This idea of unclean lips is significant for a prophet because he was going to be the one to speak. And yet what comes out of his mouth isn't good enough. And what's in view here is not only his words, but his very heart. Jesus spoke about our hearts and he said, how can you who are evil 
say anything good, for out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. The, heart, the mouth is a reflection of what's inside. So what's in view here is that Isaiah, as a person, is corrupt. And not only him, but all the people, his people, are in the same situation. Um, you know, sometimes when we think about God's holiness, I think we can have a small view of how perfect and righteous our God really is. We often compare ourselves with each other rather than with God. I think many people think that they're going to walk up to God at the end of the age when they face their maker and they're going to put their arm around him and say, hey God, how's it going? I was, might not been a perfect guy, but I was better than that bloke, right? We all think like this sometimes, but that's an, an incorrect standard because the standard of perfection is God himself. And with that standard, we fall short. Isaiah was aware of this. In Isaiah 64, he said, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Think about the right things that we do. We do so many good things. We love people. We give things. We spend time. We worship God. And yet even the best things that we do are contaminated. Because our motives aren't always right. In Romans chapter 3, it says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Pretty extreme, right? How could there not even be one? That's because God is the standard. And his perfection is so extreme so as to expose our inadequacies. With this in mind, Isaiah then cries out, Woe to me, I am ruined. You see, he becomes aware of his imperfection, but he also becomes aware of what that means, standing before a holy God. How can we stand before God? In Psalm chapter 5 it says, You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil, for with you the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. Now, hate is a, is a strong word, right? It's usually a negative word. But God hates evil. It's the only word that justifies his complete opposition to all that is crooked and wrong with this world, with sin. And so Isaiah realises that before this holy God, he is facing certain judgment. He becomes afraid of his own existence, his own life. And yet this is the maker we all will stand before. You know, one reaction to this kind of holiness is to want to run away. It reminds me of a Peter when he was confronted by Jesus and he fell down and he says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Oh, I don't want to be near you, God. You're too holy for me. And that's how holy God really is. He's that holy. But God didn't appear to Isaiah and give him this vision so that he could run away. No, God had something bigger in mind. You see, God is holy and we are inadequate. But God works to make his people holy. He makes us holy. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, it reads this. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, 
This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. I want you to notice there what God has done. He has taken a coal and cleansed Isaiah. Now, heat is something that purifies. Molten metal can be purified through heat. You can cauterize a wound through heat. And in this case, this heat is searing Isaiah's lips and taking away those lips which he feels are so unclean, so unworthy to serve God with. This word atonement that's used there to describe what has happened to Isaiah, this cleansing and taking away of sin, is not just a case of sweeping Isaiah's failing under the carpet. It's an atonement, which means God is making up for it. Whatever was wrong, God is making right. Whatever was left undone, God is doing. God is taking those sins and not just hiding them, but he's dealing with them. So Isaiah no longer has to stand before God in judgment. He no longer needs to be fearful of his own life because his sin has been taken away and dealt with once and for all. Now, Isaiah would go on to become one of the greatest prophets that's ever lived. The grandeur of his book is is really unparalleled. And what he speaks about is amazing because he goes on to speak to the people about what has just happened to him. He speaks about a Messiah at length in his book who would come and be that coal and cleanse God's people. He speaks to people saying that God's judgment is coming. Turn back to to God for God can cleanse you and make you right again. That would be Isaiah's message. He would preach about what had happened to him. In Isaiah chapter 53, it reads this. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. And each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah was speaking about one to come who would be that coal, who would take away and deal with sin. He was speaking about Jesus. In Romans chapter 3, it says, There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Isaiah pointed to the one who would become the coal for God's people, who would take away sin and deal with it once and for all by being pierced on a cross. He would suffer as a servant, and by his wounds we are healed. You see, when Jesus was upon that cross, he wasn't judged because of the wrongs that he did. He was punished as a criminal, and God turned his back on him like he's never turned his back on anyone before. Yet it wasn't for his failings, but the failings of God's people, so that the judgment could be dealt with once and for all. You see, we're like Isaiah. Our God is holy, holy, holy. And we can't stand before his presence except that God should deal with sin. And he does that in Jesus Christ. As the passage continues, Isaiah is changed by his experience. 
from one moment he's afraid, terrified of facing God. Listen to what happens next. In verse 8, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. What a change. This grace that has been poured out, this this cleansing has enabled Isaiah to speak up and say, I'll go, Lord, send me. I'll go to the people and warn them. I'll be your messenger. Isaiah accepts his call. He accepts the mission. And as we look a little bit further on, we get a glimpse into what Isaiah would have to do. God says, go, tell this people, be ever hearing and never understanding, be seeing but never perceiving, make the hearts of this people callous, make the ears dull, close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Possible mission? I think so. His mission was impossible because basically, while that sounds pretty cryptic, What was going to happen, God's telling him, is he's going to go out and talk to the people and they're basically not going to listen. And worse than this, as he speaks the message of God's hot coal, that the righteous, the judgment and the forgiveness, those people would actually become harder. They would turn away. They would reject him as a prophet and reject God and reject his message. It was an impossible mission that Isaiah was given. The people weren't going to respond. Isaiah cries out in in, in anxiety, I think. He says, for how long, O Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord sends everyone far away, until the land is utterly forsaken. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a mission I want to accept. To go out and preach to people that aren't going to listen until basically judgment comes. Until the whole nation is destroyed. That's exactly what happened in Isaiah's time. The northern kingdom fell. And after his life, the southern kingdom fell. They ceased to exist. The temple was torn down. The priests were no more. People were carried off in exile. They were no longer God's special people, so it seemed. And for us, as we face our mission, God calls us to the same thing. To be ambassadors for him. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you see that? We're called, our mission is to declare as God's holy nation, to declare the praises of him who called us, who transformed us, who cleansed us and brought us from darkness into light. That's our mission. And sometimes we feel like Isaiah, don't we? We go out into the world and people don't want to hear it. They don't want to know. And the more we speak, the less they want to listen. And we wonder what the end of all this will be. It can be discouraging. We can feel overwhelmed. But God calls us nonetheless to be people that are transformed by his holiness. And it's not just words. He says... Be holy because I am holy. We read that in that one Peter passage earlier on. That it's not only about words, but we ourselves are to be transformed to be cut 
or separate from those in the world. We can't be the same. We can't say the same things, do the same things, act the same ways, have the same interests, have the same motivations. We need to be cut and separate like holy God. We need to be like him, living a life that stands out in contrast to the world which is perishing. That's what we've been called to do. And it's through that testimony of who we are and what we say that people might understand a bit about who God is. In 1 Peter chapter 2 it says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. They see your good deeds and there's a chance that they may glorify God. Now I know what you're saying. Thinking, why would you accept this mission? It's an impossible mission. But I want to give you a little bit of hope. For in the midst of this passage, which seems to be so overwhelming, there is yet something astounding. Have a look. And it's in verse 13. It's so subtle, you could almost miss it. And though a tenth of remains in the land, he goes on to say, he talks about the tenth remaining. Now that's in the Bible, that idea is the idea of the remnant. And it's an idea of people, a small group of people who pass through God's judgment. While the nation is is being destroyed, while the nation is on decline, there are a group of people who are faithful to God. And we know that this is the case historically. In fact, you can go in and read books like the book of Daniel, where those who were carried off to exile, God was still with them and blessing them and using them in the midst of foreign lands, even though they had no nation. God continued to work out his salvation. He continued to work powerfully in them, even doing miracles that were that are, that are astounding through that remnant, through that group. And so in the midst of this catastrophe, there is hope. And if you think about that remnant, those people who would continue to be faithful, they actually eventually come back and resettle the land. The temple is rebuilt. Their nation is restored And it's in the midst of that place that Jesus comes as the Messiah of the world and brings salvation not only to Israel, but to the entire world. Incredible, isn't it? God's plan. I want you to have a think about Isaiah's vision. Perhaps you're here today and you're a person who hasn't come to understand who Jesus is. Maybe today you're getting a glimpse of how God holy God really is. I want to challenge you to think about Jesus because you can't stand before God without that purification that he offers. It's not something we can do. It's only something he can do for us and we need to receive him by faith. I want to challenge you to get to know Jesus through the words of the Bible, the Messiah that Isaiah spoke about, which is the Bible is full of his story. And if you're a Christian here today, and you're hearing about our holy, holy, holy God, I want to challenge you to be different, to live holy lives, not to be the same. If we look at our lives and we just see them as being like everybody else's, something's wrong. I want to challenge you to to serve God through how you are, how you live, and also what you say, and to be a testimony, not just in words, but through your entire life. And I want to encourage you to keep going. Even if your family 
doesn't believe in Jesus, even if your friends don't understand, even if your workplace mocks you, keep going. Don't stop. Continue to serve God because his purposes will be fulfilled. I want to finish off with another vision. And it's a vision from the book of Revelation. The thing that's unique about this vision is that it's not a vision in the past, it's a vision in the future. And the amazing thing is it's a vision that we're all going to see. Have a listen. Revelation chapter 4. Therefore before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby and a rainbow that shone like emerald encircled the throne. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and under the wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Chapter 7 completes this vision. And after I looked before me, And there before me was a great multitude who no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell face down on, they fell fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped saying, amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, we are that multitude that stands before God with clean robes, washed in the blood of the Lamb, purified before God as they cry out, holy, holy, holy. And we are the ones who will worship him and be with him forever. Let's just bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you in awe of who you are. Lord, you are so holy. Lord, we know that we are imperfect. We do so many things wrong. Each and every day we sin against you, Lord. Please forgive us, we ask. We ask you, Lord, through Jesus, to work that miracle in us, to transform us and cleanse us. Lord, help us to trust in him, not in ourselves. I pray, Lord, that you can use us to change our lives, to make us holy, people that resemble you, that we can speak with authority because we live lives which are authentic. Lord, I pray that you will speak to this world through us and help us to have courage and to, and to continue to serve you in everything we do. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.